And it is a good morning. It's still morning, I think, as far as I know. Maybe it will be when we get done. You just can't tell, you know. You just never know for sure. So glad you're here today. It is a great day. I, I think we are all aware that things are improving. We hope they continue to improve to a time where we can feel very comfortable and close company with, with people and... Uh, that in that sense, a return to some sort of normalcy. We know that there is still uh, a lot going on. There's a lot of fear still out there. I want you to know something, and I, I think you're aware of this, that throughout the time of this pandemic, the elders have met uh, with great frequency, quite often weekly, trying to figure out the best way so that we can accomplish what we need to do as a congregation even when we've been distanced from one another, and how we can bring people together, try to do it as safely as we can. It doesn't always meet everybody's desire or everybody's expectation. Sometimes we are a little bit uncomfortable, or we, um, maybe we're even a little bit irritable sometimes. I don't, I don't know, Not, never at my house. But um, it has been a challenging time and continues to be a little bit challenging, but we believe we're making good strides and moving forward, and I appreciate your thoughts and your participation throughout. You've been good. You've continued to support the church financially. One of the things we worried about in the earliest days, or I shouldn't say we, I did, we had a concern. Would people continue to support the work that we can keep our, our mission works and efforts going? What's going to happen? And you went above and beyond, and I pray you'll continue to do that. There's so many things that we can do, and there are places that still need our help, our encouragement, and our, our finances as well. And we want to continue to do that. And let's be challenged to, to press forward as best we can. And I hope that you feel the same way I do in that regard, that we're trying to get there. Whether we're exactly in the same place, we're trying to get there ever. As Paul said, we're, we're on our way. We're not home yet, but we are on our way. I call the lesson today, Reversal of Fortunes. Actually, the, the image says reversals of fortunes. Uh, you know, you just can't have it all the way you want it. But anyway, uh, call it reversal of fortunes. And you stop and think about it for a while because at the time Jesus came into the world, the Jewish Israel government of Israel at the time had worked out a kind of sense of peace with Rome. Rome was in charge of the world, the known world at that time the biggest power of the day, the empire spread, and it covered their country. But it allowed the Jews a certain amount of freedom to establish their own governments, to have their own hierarchy within, to work within them. In fact, if I got it right, the only, the only country of the Roman world at that time that what was not required to come into the military, the Roman military, were the Jews. I don't know whether they just felt like they couldn't trust them enough to put them in there, they might uh, start a rebellion, or they just worked out something that they did not have to serve. So, but they had worked out an accord, and there was kind of a peace accord. You hear about those kind of things today. And they'd worked out a peace accord, and so they, the leaders of Israel tried to keep their balances. They tried to keep people under control. If there was some problem that arose, they tried to quell it and keep, keep it down so that there wouldn't be a problem where Rome would come in and take away their power. And they grew to appreciate and love the power that they had and the place that they had in Israel and in the Roman Empire in that sense. And then along came Jesus. There had been others 
But along came Jesus preaching a message of God, of peace, of love, of judgment, and it turned the world on its ear. People were, were changed. People were caught off balance. People were stressed. People wondered, what could this mean? And the leaders began to look at it and think, how can we manage this thing? If we don't do something here, it's going to undermine our integrity and it's going to undermine our country. And as you know, they brought about the death of Jesus then. And with Jesus gone, they felt like their troubles were gone. And with their troubles gone, they could be at peace. But then the message began. In Acts 2, we read of those, those people on Pentecost hearing the message of Peter and the others. And that day, 3,000 people making a, a great commitment, 3,000 being baptized. And the numbers continued to grow right in Jerusalem. The number of men was over 5,000 in a short period of time. It wasn't something that could be ignored. It wasn't something that could be dismissed. And so, they were on guard. And then there was an event that took place. In the third chapter of Acts, you read about Peter and John going up to the temple there to pray, where people would gather to pray at certain hours of the day. And Peter and John were on their way to the temple. You read in the third chapter, and they were entering a particular gate of the temple. And there was a man there, and there were people commonly there, but there was a man there who was lame, and he was begging for offering. And people would come by and on their way into the temple, that's a good place to go if you're wanting to seem spiritual, religious, close to God. You want to give offerings to the poor. So he was there and people would drop offerings in his collection. And Peter and John came by and he got their attention. And then they got his attention. And the end result was Peter said, look at us. He said, I don't have any silver and gold to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And the man was given his legs to walk. It gave an opportunity for a message to be preached. And it caught a lot of attention, ultimately causing some disruption in the temple area because so many people were excited. The man was jumping and shouting and praising God. And the people were amazed at what was going on to the point that the leaders sent men to take Peter and John and put them in custody overnight on the next day they were put on trial called before the council and you recognize this council is the same group of men who had brought about the death of Jesus called before that council to defend what they were doing verse 13 Acts chapter 4 verse 13 through verse 21, the scripture reads this way. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside out of the council, 
They conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no more in this, uh, no, no more in this man's name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You see, they thought they had it under control. They thought they had their way. They thought they had everything set up. They thought they had their accord. They thought that until this event In literary statements, we might occasionally find the statement that I used this morning of someone who is described as having a reversal of fortunes. It may usually refer to a change in their financial situation. But there are stories, as you know, of ones who have truly gone from a sense from the bottom to the top, from rags to riches, or from riches to rags. But there are also reversals that are not about financial matters but about power, about control, about plans, about anticipations of what will be, about places and structure and control, as I say. And as I mentioned a little earlier, Jesus had already turned the religious world on its ear. With his death, the leaders thought they had removed the problem and restored their comfort, their sense of power. Yes, there were still rumblings about Jesus. Yes, there were people telling about a resurrection. But they had not considered those to be a great issue. Even the preaching on Pentecost and the thousands of people being baptized was not a serious issue for them. For we find that people were still going to the temple and praying. They were still being obedient. They were still going along typically as they had. But then this event, it was the healing of the lame man at the temple, along with the accompanying message that shook the attention of those leading men. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny this power. They couldn't deny what was happening there, and they felt that something needed to be done. It was a miracle, a powerful message that was not going to disappear. People were going to flock to it. People were going to tell it. People were going to hear about it. And it just might change in their minds their balance of power. And so they were worried. So let's talk about them for a minute. Let's talk about that they, that council for a moment. As Peter and John stand before them, along with perhaps some others standing there and that formerly lame man standing there with them, And as they heard the words of Peter and John, as the defense was made before them, they saw something. Yes, there was a conflict. For out of the healing of the lame man arose the opportunity for these men 
these apostles to preach that message. Out of that healing, out of that event, they were able to tell the people standing there what had happened and why it had happened there. And among the common people, the people that were gathered in the crowd, the people that were in the temple that day, the people that began to hear about it, the message that began to spread, and as that man began to to shout and, and rejoice at what had happened to him, the people were excited. The people thought something great had happened. People weren't upset about this. They weren't tired or or bothered by the disruption. They were excited about what had happened. There was a great level of appreciation and faith. Go back to chapter 4, and they were drawn to God because of this. But as I said a little bit earlier, Peter and John ended up being incarcerated at least overnight. They were arrested and held overnight for the next day to be brought before the high court of their land. They were brought in before this high court. And as they stood before that austere council, they made it clear that it was by the name, in the authority, under the power of Jesus Christ. It was through the authority of Jesus Christ whom this council boldly they said had crucified that man that man Jesus through whom this man had been healed think about that council they were cornered they were cornered listen to their words they knew it a great miracle has been performed here something spectacular has happened we can't deny it it has taken place people know about it we can't deny it we can't claim it was a fake it's a reality here stands the man We can't do anything about that. But they did not want to hear any more about this Jesus. They didn't want to hear any more about their responsibility in his death. They did not want that spread among the people. And you can understand why. They were wrong, but you could understand why. And it was a tough place for powerful leaders who wanted to retain their power to be. Whenever we find ourselves confronted with a situation that disrupts what we feel like is our position, our place, our opportunity, our comfort zone, that's a hard place to be in. They were in a hard place. And in the midst of it, they recognized. They recognized something special. They listened, they heard, and they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For Peter and John stood before this educated, this leader, leading council of the people. These humble fishermen from Galilee stood before this council and word to word, eye to eye, stood boldly and spoke to them. They had no bearing to do this. They had no place to do this. You don't do that. They didn't stand there as if they should cower before these people. They stood there boldly telling them what was on their mind. These simple fishermen who had no background to stand spoke so boldly to them. And the council recognized that boldness and they recognized that these were men who had been with, close to, drawn from, associated with Jesus. And they marveled at it. And they were perplexed by it. And still, They, that council, felt they needed to do something. What would they do? They needed to do something. 
Things had gone so far, they could not just let it go. They had brought him in. They couldn't just say, okay, we'll forget it. We'll just let it go. Things were happening, and they were in a position of power, and they feared losing that power, and you can see what's going on in their minds, and there were precedents of similar instances of this. We can go to the Old Testament. We can see Nebuchadnezzar as he stands with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of his prized counselors. What's he going to do? He said, if you don't bat down, you've got to go to the fiery furnace. He can't back off on these people now. And so the heated up furnace, in they go. I don't know that's what he wanted to do there in Daniel 3, but that's what he did. A little bit later in the sixth chapter, a similar thing. We think about King Darius or Darius as he cast Daniel into the lion's den. He didn't want to do it, but he was in a pickle. He was in a tight spot. He had made this edict, and now what's he going to do about it? Sometimes we find ourselves in a tight spot, and we don't know what, quite what to do. It's kind of like they say, never run from a bear. I don't know. Never been face-to-face with a bear. Don't want to be, except in the zoo. Never run from a bear, they say. At least that's what I hear from the rangers. Looked it up, thought, want to make sure I'm, I'm right. They say, look big. Quietly slip backwards away from them. Don't turn your back and run. For running from a bear only incites the bear to attack you. Now, most of us will never find ourselves in a position of a, running from a bear. But don't we face challenges Don't we face ourselves, get into positions sometimes where we want to just simply turn and run? But we feel like we need to do something. For like these councilmen, they had two considerations. They didn't want to lose their position before the people. John 11, even dealing with Jesus. If we let him go, let him say whatever is on this thing that's been done, John 11, what had he just done? He had raised Lazarus from the dead. And he was doing these works. If we don't do something about him, we're going to lose our place. The Romans will come in and take away this accord that we've got. We won't have that power anymore. And the second thing they wanted to do, they wanted to stop this growing cause that surrounded or came from Jesus. And so I'd add the note, too often, too often we feel pressured We feel pressured to do something in a situation, even if it's the wrong thing, like running from a bear. They felt they needed to do something. The best thing for them to do was say, hey, we were wrong. We need to listen to you, and we need to move. But they didn't do that. Instead, they tried to do something, but it failed. They tried to do something, but it failed. They called for silence. They threatened the men, and they called for silence on the subject. Basically, what they were doing is saying, we're going to put sanctions on you. That sounds like a political endeavor, doesn't it, country to country? But that's pretty much what they're going to do. We're going to put sanctions on you guys. If you guys don't quit preaching in this name, what are they going to do? The threat's not clearly there, but if we back up, we find what they had done earlier. If you claim the name of Jesus, then you're removed from the synagogue. They say, well, they couldn't go to church anymore. No, that's not exactly the fact. Yes, they couldn't go in and take part in a gathering of the Jews in the synagogue building. 
but it meant you were out of society. You were unacceptable. We couldn't trade with people. You couldn't participate with them. If people followed through with the edict, you were ostracized from society, ostracized from family, ostracized from any association with people in any way. That's what they really wanted to do. And then it seems like that's what they wanted to do with these apostles. If you don't quit preaching in this name, we'll see that things get bad from you. Bad for you. You can go back to John 9 and, and recognize that's what they were trying to do with the followers of Jesus, especially that blind man that was healed there in that chapter. But you know, they tried to do this, but as I said, it failed. Because every time they did something, it went against them. Each time, here and then in the very next chapter again, it happens. Each time it only invigorates those apostles, it only in, in, entices the followers to be more excited. As these men go, they share the events, they pray with them, and they went right on preaching in the name of Jesus. And we get over into the next chapter. Again, they called in before the council. council said, didn't we tell you to quit doing this? And they even beat the apostles there. And after that, they just went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. Kind of reminds you of the words of James, doesn't it? Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. Here's a trial. They were excited that they were counted worthy. Well, the council tried something, but it failed. I think it's I think they were acting a lot like a ship like the Titanic when it faces the iceberg. What they couldn't see, this council, what they couldn't see was far more powerful than what they could see. They thought if we just silence these men, it'll all be over. But they didn't realize the power that they were dealing with. And so that brings us back that brings us back to where I was in the very beginning. What they were facing was a reversal of fortunes. Not so much about money. This really doesn't have much to do with money at all. They thought they had power. They thought they had position. They thought they had place. And in a way, they did. But in this challenge and in this battle or in this war, they didn't know it, but they had already lost. It was over. Again, go back to Daniel. In the fifth chapter of Daniel, Belshazzar thought he had it all. Here, this pretentious pretender of a king thinks he has it all. He's, he's rejoicing at the gods of gold and of silver. Forget about the God of Israel. He thought he had it all until he began to see that inscription on the wall, the writing that was there. And when Daniel came and brought him the message, he realized he had lost and to this council, hadn't Jesus already told them? Hadn't Jesus already tried to tell them? From the ruling seats, they thought they had the power over God's will and God's place and God's people. But all they had was blame. They missed it. As Jesus tried to tell Pilate in John 19, you wouldn't have any power at all. God is the giver of power. 
But you know, it is the common lot of human thinking. For you and me as well in our small world, to try to bend the world, to try to bend the will of God, to suit ourselves to be what we want it to be for our own comfort levels. I think perhaps that's a lot of what Solomon was trying to get across in that Ecclesiastes. As he writes in verse 2, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He talks about the emptiness of the human endeavor. Well, in this, I probably left you with a sense of doom and loss. But the point is not about that. It's a point about awareness. It's a point about seeing where we are. It's a point about realizing who and whose we are. It's a point about recognizing who is on the side with us, whose side we join to. We can be like the counselor who stands back and says, No! Or we can be like the apostles who say, Who are we supposed to listen to? You or God? We can think we have it all under control, or we can realize the battle was lost before we began if we're not willing to align with God. A couple of young boys, about 11 or 12 years old, my cousin and I, went out to check our trot lines one morning near my grandparents' place on a lake in West Texas. We went out and we began to pull up the trot line. At one point it got pretty heavy and we realized it was pulling back. And we began to pull into the boat and we'd already pulled in a couple of smaller fish. But as we pulled in that heavy pull, we realized we were pulling in pretty quickly one of the largest catfish I'd ever seen. I'd like to tell you he was probably 30, 40, 50, 150 pounds. We began to pull that fish and we got his head up to the side of the boat and began to pull him over the side of the boat, both of us pulling on that trot line. And just as we got about half of his body, huge as he was, over the side of the boat, he thrashed loose. Back into the water he went and the fish was gone. Today, he's nothing more than a fish story the one that we almost got. But the thing that I want to tell you is we thought we had him. We were bragging. We thought they're going to be so excited. They're going to be amazed at what we bring home today. They're going to be amazed at us and what we do. We were talking among ourselves, the two of us together, talking about that and thinking how great we were. And in just a moment, it was gone. And the council thought they had it all. They thought they had the apostles. They thought they had the message stopped. They thought they would have the people under their control. But if you read all the history of the Bible, if you read all the workings of God, if you read everything that's happened, there's a message that comes back. And Gamaliel got hold of it, and in the fifth chapter of the similar story, Gamaliel said, we best not be fighting against God. And that's where we are, isn't it? Not fighting against God, but open and desirous that His will be done. This morning we're going to sing a song of invitation. The opportunity to obey the gospel. 
The opportunity to ask for prayers of the church or whatever a need might be for you is available to you. We want to remind ourselves that God is an open door of opportunity and blessing to us. And if someone needs to respond this morning, the opportunity in this hour at this time is before you. And if you need to come, why don't you do so while we stand and sing together?